This episode is sponsored by Grow Therapy. Welcome to a place where you'll leave feeling whole. The counseling podcast brings at-home counseling right to you, focusing on self-care, self-expression, and breaking down barriers. Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes bring over 20 years of combined experience and a new sense of style to the word counseling. The two use humor and lighthearted conversation to explore these deeper feelings. Let's take the stigma away from counseling together. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Counseling Podcast. We have my friend and colleague, Eliza Perez, an LMHC, licensed mental health counselor and child therapist. And I will let her introduce herself today. Hi, guys. I'm Beliza. I'm a licensed um, child therapist and qualified supervisor um, for interns trying to get licensed in the state of Florida. I've worked in community agencies, elementary schools, um, crisis centers, and now I'm full time in my practice in Oviedo and absolutely love that. Um, I'm a therapist providing services to parents, kids who are six to 10 years old, siblings, And my specialty includes anxiety, anger, and giftedness. All of my info can be found on PerezCounseling.com, or you can reach out to me at Beliza at PerezCounseling.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm excited. Yes, me and Jeremiah are so excited to have you today. We're just so so grateful that you're here today, Beliza. We have a lot of questions for you. So thanks uh, thanks for joining us. Awesome. First off, what is the most important thing in mental health right now that you see specifically working with children that you want to address? So I would say right now with everything going on, kids need providers who really know how to work with them and who really understand their concerns and their issues. Um, Children, their language is play. They are all about movement. They're all about connecting with somebody and feeling like they're safe and that I can connect with this provider. So it's really having parents be educated and know who to look for and um, just finding a provider who knows how to work with children. I hear all the time, um, I get calls constantly, they saw somebody or um, who you know spoke to them. They just talked for 50 minutes. And I'm thinking a seven-year-old, you know, talking will only get you so far. So really finding the right provider to connect with your child and with you. I think that's so important, Belisa, because I think so many parents, they don't, they don't recognize the importance and the necessity for play therapy. And I know I, I work, so I work with adolescents and adults and I will have parents call me and they'll say, Hey, I've got a seven-year-old. Can we bring him in? And I'll say, okay, hold on. Um, I provide talk therapy. We're going to need to find a play therapist. And so mm-hmm. you make this really, I think this really critical point about kids, they kind of, you said they kind of express their world through play. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. So children, um, when they're interacting in either a game or in even just a simple like coloring activity, they are more open to, um, to connecting. They're more open to expressing themselves. And it isn't just verbal, like they express themselves through play, you know, whatever they're coloring, how hard they're coloring, the, 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 um, colors that they choose to color with. Um, You can learn so much from a child just by playing um, a game with them. Typically it's a therapeutic game, um, but a lot of games can be turned into therapeutic games. So uh, yeah. That's so interesting. And I love that you're so in tune with them and that makes you such a good therapist because of your compassion with that. And 
How do you, how do you, um, guide the parents to, to help them with their children to kind of get that communication out of their children, like when they're at home? So a lot of it is having parents observe the therapy sessions with child consent um, so that they can see exactly what happens and what they can duplicate or try to replicate at home. Or a lot of times I meet with them separately or, you know, I'll take a few minutes either before or after uh, I meet with the child and just give them tips and pointers. Um, So usually a lot of it is just, you know, instead of going in to try to solve a problem, which as a parent is very, that's just Typical. We want to help our kid. We want to fix it. So what we do is we help them just to kind of connect with their child, just spend time with them, just listen to them. Don't go in to fix, connect, and then we can figure some stuff out. And it's actually easier once the child is in tune with you to figure some stuff out. That's a great point. Because I know as parents, we do, we, I think it's our natural instinct to just, okay, something's wrong, you know, let's, let's fix it. But it, it sounds like this, this attunement piece and being able to connect with them. And it sounds like as parents, we can learn that through the play therapy process, please. All right. So talk a little bit more about how you integrate, you might integrate parents into that process. So usually um, when we meet um, for probably the first one or two sessions, I let them know from the beginning that this is very interactive, that um, although there are a few, you know, some sessions where I might be meeting with mostly the child alone, there, I require the parents to be engaged and willing and in just thinking about being open to being involved in the, in the therapy sessions and just getting them to think about what their goals are. So, you know, we came here because, you know, Becky has a lot of anxiety, but, you know, getting them to kind of uh, connect with how they feel about that and kind of where they are with that and just trying to help them to be a little bit more at ease and understand that Belize is only with us 50 minutes a week. The rest of the time it's us. So they're really like, I'm like assistant coach. They're the coaches. So it's really getting them to be on board and understand that like you are the main, their main person. So they're really going to need you. I'm here to support you guys and I'm your cheerleader forever. But at the end of the day, you have to go home and figure this out. So really, I, I mean, I try to keep as positive and try to get them um, looking at this from a, of a, of a helpful lens versus like, I'm going to be judging you and this is going to be challenging and, you know, just a lot of stuff that they're probably already thinking. <laughs> well, I think it's great too, because you're also helping the parents um, with their coping skills. And then they're going to model that for their children. So it's almost like, you know, they're both kind of in there getting those coping skills. Yes. And I think a lot of parents don't realize how much their child is watching them with and without words. Children see through every sense. It isn't just, oh, I didn't tell them that or they don't know that they felt that. And I think a lot of parents, um, you know, for one reason or another, don't realize that. So it's helping them to understand that they feel everything. Children, in order to survive, that's how they figure it out is they, they're they relying on all of their senses. They're relying on everything as they develop and grow. So it's really reminding parents that um, how they cope is how their child was most likely going to cope. So if they can work some things out, the sky's the limit for their child. Of course. Is there one specific um, or common issue that you've been seeing lately or within a, an age range of what you've been seeing? Yes. Um, so, and this is definitely um, COVID related, but even like pre-COVID, I want to say maybe the last year before COVID, uh, a lot of anxiety, 
Um, but now it's skyrocketed. And, um, you know, separation anxiety, I'm seeing that a lot where kids are missing their parents. They were, you know, um, homeschooled for six months to a year, some kids even longer. So they, they are definitely experiencing that um, disconnect from the parents who were home with them. Um, and just a lot of technology. So just a lot of overuse or just extra use of technology that is contributing to a lot of um, their symptoms. Your approach sounds very, and I think this is important, very holistic, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. you've made a lot of references to not only what the child is struggling with, but you've made references to the parents and, and mm-hmm. you know, and maybe some of the things that they're not necessarily causing the problem, but perhaps contributing. Um, mm-hmm. And then their way of coping and you're looking at things like technology and all these. So it sounds like you really consider holistically all these different variables that contribute oh, to yes. the child's mental health. Yeah. Oh, yes. And again, these things have just kind of come to me in my private practice over the last five years. I mean, just things that I've noticed, things that um, in a lot of trainings that I've participated in, um, we're in a world where there's just so much going on around us um, environmentally, um, just within our family system uh, that we're not aware of that really impacts everything. And so I noticed that for my families who, when we address as many of those, um, I call it the onion, as many layers of the onion as possible, we just see the benefits. When we are aware of things and we start working on different layers, my goodness, the way that the, the positive impact is amazing. So there's something there. I know you brought up the electronics and children, and I know me and Jeremiah also have kids that probably use electronics. Um And I've seen with my own child that sometimes it's used as a coping mechanism. I'm like, no, let me replace that with a healthy coping mechanism so you don't get addicted to coping by using this negative outlet. What do you suggest for children or do you, you know, give the parents any guidance? I tread carefully. Like I, once I build enough rapport with my families and the families know that Belize is one of our people. Belize is not here to like judge us or boss us around. But once they realize that, listen, I have tools and skills and I have things that have worked. And that's, you know, what I bring to the table. So once we kind of build that relationship, it's kind of reminding them of the balance of things. Somebody said this to me once and I loved it. And this is what I tell them is technology is one of the things we use. It shouldn't be the main thing. We should have, you know, outside activities. We should have, um, you know, arts and crafts, for example. You know, maybe, uh, you know, we have uh, two two kids in the neighborhood that we do baseball with, you know, on the weekends or something. Technology should be one of the things we're utilizing, one one of the coping skills, if you will, or one of the things we do for fun. It shouldn't be the main one. Just because of uh, all of the research coming out about the negative effects of technology with a growing brain. So, you know, children as young as two or three, um, even to teens, although the brains, you know, is still growing beyond them. So really just balancing it out. So sometimes I sit with parents and we literally and the kids and we literally go through, you know, what does your day look like and how much what are we doing on how much are we spending in each situation? So I do 30 minutes of coloring, three hours of technology, two hours of TV, and maybe I hang out with my friend outside for 20 minutes on a Tuesday. So we sh- we, they can literally see what it looks like and then just trying to help them to balance that out a little bit. I love that. I love that you use the word balance because that's exactly what I, I tell my son too. I said, we have to have a healthy balance, right? So as long as you, let's go do an outside activity. Let's read yes. 
Let's do something in the, you know, yes. let's play a board game. And then yes, you can have this limited time. So there's a time frame on when you get electronics too, but it's not the, it's not the main thing. So I like how you broke that down. Yes. And I think it's important too, that parents, you know, you talk about kind of having parents look at the structure of their lives and what their kids are doing and kind of mapping out, okay, my child. And, you know, I know with our kids, we, you know, we noticed that our kids were on their iPads. Wait, I have three kids, eight, six, and five. And we realized, <laughs> we re- God bless my soul, right? We, re- we realized that they were on their iPads way too much. And we didn't, we were on autopilot, right? And then one day my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, they're on their iPads all day, right? Like, and not every day, but we noticed that they were on their iPad when they were eating breakfast. They were on, the, and, and so we, we put a stop to that and we, we set out certain parameters of when they were allowed, to, when they're allowed to use their iPads. But I think it sounds like you kind of working with the parents and helping them kind of understand, okay, this is the structure of our household. That sounds like that's a really important intervention for you. Yes. And also um, just approaching it just in a very non-judgmental way. Yeah. You know, uh, just reminding them that like there is a lot going on. We're in a situation right now that we have never been in. So it makes sense that your kids might be on technology more. But, you know, let's look at this and try to make a shift. And remembering that we are the parents, we're in charge. Kids do not have always the, not a lot, well, just in general with brain development, kids are not going to say, okay, it's time for me to turn this off and let me go play chess for an hour. And then I'm going to go brush my teeth and then I'm going to get ready for dinner. (laughs) Like they don't have that. So they need our guidance and they need our um, structure. We are the ones who kind of help them figure that out. Um, And so it is up to us. And as scary and as intimidating as that is, it could also be a positive in the sense that, oh, we can really help them. We can guide them and really show them. Because it is up to us as parents, right? And I know that's such a big responsibility. For, yes. But you would say, I mean, it sounds like a lot of the work that you do is with the parents on some level. A lot of it is. And a lot of that's why I, I, I'm very specific when parents call me. I let them know what they're getting themselves into. <laughs> I let them know what therapy with me looks like and what I need from them. Um, they need a lot from me, but I need um, uh, certain things from them as well. And can you describe what a session looks like with you and and what that would look like for them? Got it. Okay. So um, typically what we do the first five minutes is we do a quick check-in. So whoever's there, they all come in. We do a check-in, highs and lows of the week, housekeeping. You know, we might need to troubleshoot a couple of things like, oh, he got in trouble, you know, just before he got here at school. There's a note in his planner, you know, and so we might troubleshoot. Okay, let's try A or B. Do you guys have any suggestions on what you think might work? Then depending on what we're working on, I might meet with the child alone, teach them some things, whether it's relaxation training, whether it's communication skills, um, you know, uh, self-regulation. So being able to identify, I'm I'm really angry right now. You know, they said this. And so this made me think this. So I hit them. And can we reframe that? If we can go back in time, how can we make that different or better? And then um, the whoever's in their parents or their family members, the last five minutes, we do a wrap up where the parents learn, okay, he learned communication, you know, I statements, he learned deep belly breathing, and he learned to identify the, you know, five triggers that make him angry. So that way the parents know what they should be working on in between session. That's great. So that's typically it. Now for working on parenting things, 
the parents are in there with, with my client and we're, you know, either practicing um, certain skills or they're watching me with their child. And then I might say, hey, mom or dad, come on in for this. Or can you practice that with me? So just being really working with everyone and, and but not, but giving specific people specific tasks. So obviously the kids are going to be work on identifying emotions, but then it sounds like you're also helping the parents attune to what's going on with the child emotionally so they can intervene in those moments. Correct. Can you give us an example of like how that might happen? You know, if a, let's say a child's having a, r- a rough time emotionally, what might they be experiencing? So a lot of times what kids are experiencing is, so they're getting like, like a lot of, um, uh, like an in- uh, increased intense emotions. So a lot of times it's um, just like if they're really, really happy and we see that 110%, they're flooded with a lot of, you know, negative emotions. So uh, I see a lot of like anger and anxiety. So they are just feeling like, oh, they weren't listening to me. They hurt my feelings. You know, they, um, a lot of it is very much, you know, self feeling really, really hurt. And then a lot of times they feel like now I have to do something about it. And typically it's not a a helpful resolution. It's let me get back at them. So, but I do notice a lot of my kids, uh, when we get kind of deeper into what's going on, as they grow and develop, like all of us, you know, they're feeling judged. They're feeling misunderstood. They're feeling um, uh, confused and overwhelmed because they forget that they're little people learning through life. I'm an adult. I've learned a lot of these things already. Right. My brain is fully developed, so they don't always understand why, why is this happening, and they always go to a negative place. Absolutely. I, it happened yesterday with my son. So I, son, my, I, I coach my youngest. He's five. I coach his flag football team, and yesterday there was like a, a penalty. I put in air quotes. I mean, the kids are five, but he did something wrong on the field that he was not supposed to do. And then the next play was starting, and I was on the field with him. trying. He was really upset really dysregulated. Um, and, and, you know, he was not able to calm himself down and I had to, I had to remove him off of the field and it was really challenging and kind of getting to the bottom of it. He was hurt and he was embarrassed because, you know, he felt like he did something wrong and he just didn't know how to work through it and cope with it in that moment. And I, and my understanding beliefs is that this is like a common theme for kids and parents all the time. And then the parents get frustrated, right? Oh yeah. And a lot of times we just, we want them to get it. We want our children to don't cry. You're fine. Get back out there. And a five-year-old does not have the developmental capacity or the emotional capacity to do that. (laughs) They don't know. They literally, their brain doesn't know how to do that, which is why they're on the floor screaming and yelling and, you know, telling you that they hate you because that is the only way that they do know how to react as an adult. I will not be on the floor screaming, crying. Well, typically, you know, (laughs) telling people I hate them. I've learned to emotionally regulate and connect and figure it out. But children need our support and they need to learn, okay, that you right now, your, your upper brain and your bottom brain are not connected. We are, Dr. Dan Siegel calls it flipping the lid. Our, our lid is flipped. We need to take some deep breaths or we need to walk or something to get ourselves, our, our brain connected again. But again, we, as parents, we have to be regulated and calm to be able to help our child do that. So there's a lot of challenges going on at once. And that's great. And it helps with that inner dialogue, too, that we all learn in those core beliefs. But if you're 
if you're younger and you're learning how to identify those feelings and put a why to it and, oh, okay, I can manage my feelings this way. Yes. And it's not my fault. Of course. Like, this, I'm not just doing this because I'm a bad kid. This is happening because I don't know how to figure this out. But I can figure this out and I do have a support system to help me. So helping them to make that shift. And I can be confident in myself of self-soothing now. I have the tools that I'm learning to to soothe myself. And I don't have mm-hmm. to act out maybe in a physical manner to get those emotions yeah. out. Or, you know, that maybe 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 times, I'm making it work out in a positive way versus it being this, you know, complete meltdown on the t- on the. Uh, you know, football field. And, you know, you mentioned for our listeners, uh, Belisa mentioned Dan Siegel and Dan Siegel's a, a, a neurologist who writes a lot of books on the brain and kids and their brains. Yes. And, and Belisa, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Dan Siegel talk about too, that we need to connect with ourselves before we intervene with our kids? Cause our, so like, say, let's say our kids are dysregulated and then we get dysregulated and then we try to get them to do the right, the quote unquote, the right things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So A, Dr. Dan Siegel is fantastic. If any, And for my busy parents, I always recommend, he has like YouTube videos, they're clipped and everything. You can watch a seven minute video and gain so much information. I love, love, love him. Just the way he explains things. He is just, oh, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of his. Um, so he talks a lot and, and I connect with this so much is in order for us to be able to connect with our child, we need to be aware that whatever situation is going on with them, like they come home and they're you know upset because of X, Y, Z, we need to be very aware of how we get triggered from their situations. If we're not aware and we're not working on our stuff, we're going to get upset and we're not even going to know why. So we come into that situation upset. We can't help our kid if we're upset. So we have to, and, you know, I, I work with my parents, just the basic stuff like breathing, like, you know, I, the same identifying things I teach my kids. It's the same thing with the parents. What are we thinking? What are we feeling? And what action is coming out of that? And how can we redo this? Um, And then, you know, we might get into, you know, parents getting their own therapy or working on their own things independently of what we're doing um, in, in their child's therapy. So important because I mean, if it's a, if there's an issue going on with the child, on some level, it is a family issue or it becomes a family issue, right? Oh, like, yeah. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but we can't separate the two. If if there's something going on with the child on some level, whether it's the parents need to find a different solution or maybe the problem is an extension of their stuff, it's all kind of mixed in together, isn't it? It is, but I think that in order, sometimes in order to be able to help our kid, it's is there a point where I can separate my crap uh-huh. from what needs to happen right now with my child? Because I can't, if I'm not ready, I can't regulate and, and work this out right now and also do that for my child. Like one thing has to happen first. Um, be, and I say that just because sometimes if um, we do take things too personally and we do overconnect with everything, then that can cause, you know, another issue too. So I guess it's knowing the difference. Absolutely. 
oh, it makes complete sense, having that clarity, right? And that's where a professional like you comes in because I think a lot of times it's all mixed up and parents don't know. And maybe kids don't know either. And so you kind of helping, giving them a roadmap that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Are there any other tips or coping mechanisms for parents and children? Yes. One thing that I think is really important that we forget about is um, routine. So a lot of the kids I work with, the th- one of the things that comes up the most is like terrible sleeping. So they either, you know, don't go to bed on time or if they do, they're in bed for an hour, two hours and they can't fall asleep. So by the time they do, they wake up and they're just miserable the minute they open their eyes. So really trying to develop a better nighttime routine. So uh, making sure that parents remember and understand that being rested and recharged at night for the next day, getting my brain and body ready can really make or break the next day. Um, again, with technology, it's just, and I'm one, if I, my phone isn't like in a specific spot, I mean, I could be on that thing forever and we, and our brain and needs to, chemicals need to come out of our brain to let us know it's time to sleep. And that's not going to happen if we're, you know, engaged in, in technology, whether it doesn't matter what it is. So making sure that parents understand, you know, at least an hour, sometimes two before bed, no technology. They can color. They can listen to music. Um, maybe they're reading with, an, with a loved one. Uh, calming activities before bed. Uh, you know, dim light, cool room, dark room. Um, just things that will invite and you kind of cue my brain and body that we're getting ready to go to sleep. So that nighttime routine is super important. I think that's great. And for any age too, I mean, there's obviously any appropriate, um, different activities for different, you know, of ages to do, but I think that's great. Even, you know, even as adults, obviously we need that self-care, but so do children in any way they can get that. And again, they need to know that these healthy behaviors help us to have a good night and have a great day the next day. Um, and another thing too is um, the things they learn in therapy. I kind of remind parents that like, we need to be practicing this, not just when we're upset, but when we're calm, because when I'm calm and stable and everything's working, I can practice something and it becomes more of a habit. So just like with anybody, you know, playing, like if they're, you know, on the football team, you're not going to practice once and like learn everything. You need to continually practice so that you become an expert in, in that game. The same thing happens with the skills they're learning in therapy. Practice these all the time, not just when I'm upset. Because if I know how to use this, the minute I am upset, I'm on it. Versus like, wait, what do I do? How do I do this? And we're, we've already gone from zero to 10. Yes, being consistent. Yes, 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 yes. So question I have um, for our listeners, when does a parent know it's time to reach out to a child therapist? You know, what, what, what is that kind of that awareness? When, when is it appropriate Ooh. to do that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, if they're thinking about it, they've probably been thinking about it for a while. Mm. And when I say a while, I'm talking years mm-hmm. where they knew something was going on at two or three. But, you know, my doctor says they'll outgrow it or all my friends told me B or I researched it on the Internet and it says X. So I would suggest a 
exploring my options and trying to find somebody who can answer my queries as soon as possible. As soon as possible. The longer we wait, the longer we're letting things grow and we're letting unhealthy behaviors just take over. So I say the sooner the better. But I also, the caveat is, you know, finding the right provider to speak with, because sometimes we might be ready. We pick up the phone and for one reason or another, perhaps we didn't like who we spoke to or, you know, there's a lot of reasons. And then we just say, no, no, we're not, we're not going to do it. No, we're fine. He's fine. We're going to figure it out. So, yeah. So important. The sooner the better, right? In most cases, and early yeah. inter- early intervention is key. Yes. And because then, if not, you know, they come on on my end, and I get them at sixteen, and they've been having parents will sit down and say, "Well, he's been struggling with this since he was two. Yeah. And a lot of times, I want to say, "Well, why didn't you get him help sooner?" But we know in our culture and our society, mental health treatment still. I mean, we're getting better, but it's still still stigmatized. So I I think it's so important for you as a professional who works with these youngsters to say, hey, look, in many cases, get the kids in as soon as you can. And another thing I'd add, I see a lot of families who they did start at a young age. They got them into um, therapy or or whatever treatment early and it sucked. (laughs) They are literally like, uh, the provider didn't speak to me. The provider judged me or I felt X, Y, Z. So we stopped. So one thing I really work with my parents on in regards to psychoeducation is, you know, say, no, thank you, and move on to somebody else. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, I am not the be-all and end-all of child therapy. I am. I will make mistakes. I might say things and not even realize it. But if we have a great, you know, if we have good communication, if we can figure this out, let's do that. Because if I'm not the right fit, let's find the right fit for them. Because that is the game changer. If I find a provider who is great with my child, who is great with me, who has the interventions and therapeutic services and knows what they're doing, it is a game changer. But sometimes we just think like, oh, I feel bad or, or they just stop therapy. And it's like, nope, on to the next please let's find the right fit. It's frustrating. And yes, it can take a little while, but that connection is going to be the change that we're, that we're seeking. It's all about that connection. And we've talked about this on this podcast before in different contexts is that for the listeners, please continue to look around. If that connection and that fit is not there, it doesn't mean that therapy is wrong. It doesn't mean that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. It just means that it's a, it's not a good fit, but there is Correct. someone out there who is a good fit. No doubt. Correct. And I always tell my parents, my job as a therapist isn't to be offended. My job is to do my job. And that might mean saying, this isn't it. And let's find you the potential provider that's going to work for you guys. Exactly. I always tell clients, this is your journey. I do not take it personally. And you have to be comfortable. And this is for you. Yep. It is not about me. It's about them. And thank you so much, Blaza, for joining the podcast and sharing all this great information for child therapy. We so much appreciate it. And please tell our listeners again where they can find you. Awesome. Um, Well, thank you guys for having me. This is very exciting. And hopefully uh, some of the information that I've given you guys can reach listeners and really help them and their child get on the page that they're looking for, which it's so, so important. And I can be found at PerezCounseling.com 
or Belisa at PerezCounseling.com. That's my email. Perfect. And she's located She's located in Oviedo, Florida. Yep, in Oviedo. Thank you so much, Belisa. We You're really very welcome. It. Thank you, guys. Yes, thank you to all our listeners taking the time to spend this with us today. We can't wait to spend time with you next time. We will see you then. Thank you so much for joining us here today on the Counseling Podcast with Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes. Please take this time to thank yourself for putting in the work. If this episode impacted you in any way, let us know with a loving and honest review. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation from today, you can reach out to us at thecounselingpodcast at gmail.com and we can answer your questions right here on the show. Or you can find Dr. Jacqueline and Dr. Stokes on Instagram at docjacqueline and at Dr. Jeremiah.stokes.